Hey everybody, this is Senior Pastor Joshua B. Carson saying thank you for tuning into the CT Podcast. We hope that your time here, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're sitting at home with a journal and listening in, we hope that it's effective. Maybe it'll be inspirational, encouraging, maybe it'll be thought-provoking. Regardless of what session you're listening to, we truly pray that this is a benefit to you and to your family. God bless and enjoy the podcast. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to John chapter 21, and we're going to start at verse 15. It says, so when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my lambs. He, Jesus, saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved when he said this unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest, but when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Today, we're gonna talk about the church in action. Continuing in our series, A Glorious Church, The Church in Action. If you would, you may be seated. You see, when Jesus said, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, a man that we just read about was there to hear those very words from Jesus by the name of Peter. He was there when Jesus even said that. He was there only because of two words, follow me. That is what Jesus told him to do. So while fishing with his brothers one day, Peter met the Christ, and on hearing him say those two words, follow me, he left everything so that he could actually obey. And Peter obeyed it, kinda, but he obeyed it to the best of his ability. He followed Jesus everywhere he went. He followed Jesus when he preached. He followed Jesus when he performed miracles. He followed Jesus when he prayed. He didn't just follow Jesus with his feet, but he also was to follow Jesus and be obedient unto him, right? So Jesus meant follow me, then he was to now follow after Jesus' example. Now Peter has uh, a new master, someone to follow after, someone to lead him. And this master had an agenda. He wasn't just some random man who was walking through the earth telling people what to do and how to do it. He was God himself, and he had come so that the consequences of people following after all kinds of other folks and other gods, those consequences could be dealt with. And this man came to die so that people could live. Because ultimately, because he lives, I live. But because he died, I can live. 
So a little time before Jesus was to die, he told his disciples how they would all fall away. Right, and we know the story, we know of Peter, and Peter kind of Thank you. This is when people say, bless her, Lord. <laughs> Thank you. So because of this, we know Peter. He's pretty presumptuous, right? And Jesus says, you're gonna fall away. And he says, not me. Not me, Lord. Now remember, this is Jesus, who is God, by the way. So he knows all things. And Peter says, well, though they're gonna fall away, Lord, I won't. I won't. Never, Peter? You'll never fall away? As if we don't have receipts about how your faith has already wavered. Right? As if, if, as if we can't already read about how this has already happened. Like, when you had enough confidence to walk on water with Jesus, but not enough faith to keep you from sinking. All right, when you thought that the winds were stronger than the power of God. What we read in John 21 is this exchange between Jesus and Peter following Peter's betrayal. So clearly, what Peter says will never happen does indeed happen. So what happened? How does he fall away? Why do you think that he thought he was exempt from falling away? Well, simply put, pride. Pride will have you believing that being committed to Jesus with your words means that you're committed to Jesus with your heart. Okay. Titus 1 says that there are people who will profess to with their words that they know God, but with their works they deny him. Words don't ensure commitment. And anybody with any type of experience knows that it's easier to have self-control over your words than your body, right? And so, how does this happen? How, did, how, how could Peter say this and then later his works are inconsistent? Well, some people might say, well, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it could have been that Peter's words are just evidence of his great love for God. And I would respond by saying this, listen to his words again. He says, even though they all fall away, I will never fall away. I mean, Jesus, even though you're God, even though you know everything, you're right about them, but you're wrong about me, right? And we're all in the same boat as Peter, <laughs> pun intended. Well, sometimes we think that we're stronger than we are, right? And perhaps you see someone, they get a divorce, you declare, I don't even know how that could happen. Uh, you see someone fall and I could never do that. Someone perhaps gets sat down and, and we say, this is so shocking, I could never be close to that. Most folks falling into sin were at some point overconfident that they wouldn't. You see, it's the, it's the judgment in us. It's the, it's the misplaced confidence. It's the inability to take heed to what God told us about ourselves and about our own nature. That's how the flesh gets the best of us because you're not simply in danger when you start sin, sinning. You're in danger when you start believing that you can't sin at all. That's actually the danger. And, and Jesus tells Peter, 
Verily, truly, I tell you, this night, before the rooster crows, you're gonna deny me three times. Let me read what follows this in Luke 22. <clears throat> I'll just kind of paraphrase. If you wanna follow along, you can. You see, they had seized Jesus, and they led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house, and, and Peter was kind of following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in like the middle of this courtyard, Peter walks over and he's warming himself and a servant girl sees him and she says, this man was with Jesus and he denied it. He says, I don't know him. And a little time later, someone else saw him and said, you are one of the disciples, you are one of them. And Peter says, I, I'm not. And then an hour passes and another insists saying, certainly this man is with him because he's a Galilean too. And Peter gets so angry and he says, I'm not, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. And immediately as he's speaking that, the rooster crows and the scripture says that the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. He had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and he wept bitterly. You see, Jesus always knows what he's talking about. Peter did what Jesus said he would do. He denied him. He'd been with Jesus for three years, and when confronted, he denies three times that he even knows him. The first time Peter denies Jesus is when a servant girl recognizes him. And you would think as soon as the words came out of his mouth that, I don't know this man, conviction would grip his heart, that he would feel guilty even then the first time that Jesus just left his presence. Jesus was just taken, and the first time Peter says, I don't know him, you would think then that's when he would feel some sort of guilt and, and shame, and you would think that first denial would have straightened him up, but it didn't, because he denied Jesus again and again. And I, I don't know if you knew this, I'm sure you do, but, but sin will harden you. You can say, I'm just gonna do this just this one time is enough. But the flesh is never easily satisfied until you do it again and again, and it becomes a pattern. And then you become a slave to that thing that God wants you to actually be free from. And Peter, as far as we can see, doesn't feel any grief when he denies him at first. But you do know what wakes him up? You know what shakes his world? It's when he remembers the words of God when he remembers God's word. And for us, we seek the face of God by looking into the word of God. And, and that can make even the hardest of hearts soften. Sometimes you can't count on feeling to be the thing that makes you repent. All right, if you're in sin and you've been in sin, then the heart becomes so unfeeling that it, it just doesn't respond to truth like it used to. And that's why you can go to church and you can listen to teaching and you can worship along. You don't really feel anything and you never find yourself at an altar because, because you don't really feel it. And so sometimes the wise thing to do is not to wait or to expect to just randomly start feeling like you want God in, in order to go to him. You have to want him even when your heart doesn't want you to want him. You have to fight to look to him by faith and not by feeling. But the crazy thing about Peter's situation is that it's the Lord that looked at him. And I don't know really what that means. If it means that Peter wasn't looking for the Lord. But Jesus clearly saw him and, and I wondered how God looked at him. Jesus had called Peter to follow him. Jesus had given Peter a new name. Jesus had transfigured before Peter. Jesus had given Peter a ministry and Jesus is the one he refuses to acknowledge when following him gets too difficult. I wonder how Jesus must have felt 
Peter's sin was against him. I wonder how the Lord's eyes looked when they looked at Peter. Did they look with wrath and mercy? How did they, how did they look? Peter left where he was and the text said that he wept bitterly. This is what Paul's talking about when he says that, that godly grief leads us to repentance. That in that grief, I wonder what Peter might have been thinking. Did he wonder, what does Jesus think of me now? Did he change his mind about loving me? He called me a rock and now I'm kind of proving myself to be unstable. I wonder. But I do think this, I do think that Peter probably questioned his ministry. He probably questioned who he was and who God could, could use him and, and how God could use him. And, and I also wonder too, that if there's sometimes, even now, when you hear me say the church in action, you think that couldn't be me. That couldn't be me in action. That probably means somebody like Pastor Lopez. You know, that, that probably means somebody who has a lot more talent, Brother, Brother Hall or, or, or Brother Galleon can preach so well, it couldn't be me in action. I don't, I don't know how I, how I could do that. You need someone perfect. You need someone whose faith has never wavered. And I'm thinking that there's probably lots of people in this room that you could disqualify yourself from the ministry. You can disqualify yourself from being a part of the church in action because you say, you don't know my past. You, you don't really know what I've done. And I don't know how I could be a part of this church. I don't know how I could be a part of the ministry. Well, if we move forward in, in John chapter 21, after the resurrection of Jesus, Peter and a few other disciples were fishing. And I think it's very interesting that Peter went back to work after he denied Jesus. But they'd been up all night, no fish. And Jesus appears on the shore. And he tells them to cast their nets on the right side of the boat. They do it. They get a whole lot of fish. And suddenly one of the disciples tells Peter, hey, that's, that's Jesus. That's Jesus on the shore. And Peter, being the impulsive man that he is, he just jumps out of the boat and starts swimming to shore. He couldn't wait. All that shame, all of the shame that he probably felt, that, that's not present right now. Right now he's just saying, I just, gotta, I just gotta get to Jesus, right? And when he gets to shore, verse nine says, Jesus has a fire set up with fish for them to eat. You see, the smell of the fire probably brought back some memories of Peter such as when he was standing near a fire, warming his hands as he denied God. And isn't it interesting that over a fire is where Peter stopped serving Jesus. And for just a moment, we see that Jesus is now over a fire serving him. And after they eat, Jesus asked Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And there's lots of debate what he means by these. Does he mean the fish? Does he mean the disciples? There's, but if you recall, Peter, when he made his boastful proclamation of not being the one to fall away, he made sure to emphasize the other men would, but not me. So the question now for Peter is, is your mind renewed? How, where, is, where is your perspective now? How does Peter see his relationship with Jesus as compared to other people now? Well, Peter responds in verse 15, 16, and 17. He says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. You notice how he doesn't include the more than these in his statement? You see, Peter's denial has humbled him. A hard fall is a good teacher to those who wanna be tall. And Peter knows where his arrogance got him last time. He knows better, and not only that, he appeals to Jesus's full knowledge of him as confirmation. Lord, you know all things. You know, you know my heart. 
You see, like, unlike before, he rejected Jesus' knowledge of him. Like, how are, you, how are you gonna deny me three times? He refused to believe it, but now he is more convinced that Jesus not only knows what you do, but why you do it. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says this three times after being asked if he loves God. Three times he denied Jesus, and three times Peter says this, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus says something unexpected then. He says, feed my lambs. You think after denying the Lord, that Peter would be excluded from such a ministry, that the shepherd would give his lambs over, that the sheep belong to Jesus. Those are his lambs, and Peter is being called to take care of them. Why would someone who has failed this bad be given another chance? Because Jesus knows that he loves him now more. He knows that he loves him now, and if he loves him, then he will love his lambs too. If I know that you love me, then I know you're gonna take care of my lambs. If I know you love me, then I know you're gonna take care of the things that I've given you to take care of. You see, it's not his academic study of Jesus that qualifies him for ministry, it's his affection for God. It's his affection for God that does, and it's this affection, this love for God, that it was not the prerequisite for his forgiveness either. You see, God loved him first after Jesus looked at Peter where he was. He looked at Peter as he denied him and then carried himself to the cross and carried that sin of Peter to the cross. You see, Jesus knows where this love will ultimately carry Peter, and that's why in verse 18 he says, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk yourself wherever you want, but, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and another will carry you where, where you don't wanna go. And he says this, I'll show you what kind of death you were to have in order to glorify God. You see, Peter's gonna die one day, but did you see what his death would do? His death will give glory to God. We've met a man who met Jesus as a fisherman, followed him as a disciple, denied Jesus before his crucifixion, but the, G the Peter that denied Jesus will not be the same Peter that dies for Jesus at another time. You see, the character trait that caused him to fall will not have the final say over his life. He will die giving God glory, and you can too. You see, the sins that some of us have or will find ourselves mastered by, they don't have to shape the rest of our lives. We might not know what kind of death we will have, but like Peter who was martyred on a cross hanging upside down, but we have just as much hope for our future as Peter. Why? Because he who started a good work will complete it. He will, because those he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. How? Because to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless and blameless before his presence with great joy, what we have now doesn't determine how we'll finish. Because those who love God will see him. Peter will die for Jesus because Jesus knows that he will live for Jesus. Do you know another reason why Peter's life won't end in him giving in to denial again? Well, if you will, turn um, to Luke 22. It says that Jesus tells Peter he'll deny him three times. He began his sentence by saying this. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. 
When Satan went before God to ask to sift Peter, he went before him just as he was asking to test Job. And Jesus prays that in the sifting that takes place, his faith will not fail. Well, you may say, which this is what I questioned when I read this, but his faith did fail because he denied Jesus, right? So I suppose if Jesus doesn't get his answers or his prayers answered, that's a serious question, right? If, if Jesus prayed that Peter's faith would not fail and then it does, what does that mean? Well, I'd say that Peter's faith did fail momentarily, but his faith did not fail forever. Jesus prayed a prayer that ensured that Peter would stay strong even when he was weak. And don't you think that Jesus only prayed for Peter or only cares for Peter because guess what? He's praying for you too. And I have scripture for that. Romans 8, 26 says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what we ought to pray, but the, the spirit himself does what? Intercedes for us. I have another one, Romans 8, 34. Jesus Christ is the one who died more than that who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us all. You see, I don't know about you, but it does something to me to know that Jesus not only lived the life that I could live, but he died the death that I deserve. But he was resurrected from the grave so that I could have eternal life too someday. And that's the same for you, that he is saying, hey, keep fighting. Hey, keep getting back up because I'm ready. And everything that I've done is so that you can have eternal life if you just don't quit, if you just keep the faith. Right? So even when I, when I don't want to read the Bible, I, I have to because I know that Jesus has interceded for me. He's made a way for me. Even when I want to isolate or I, I don't really want community right now, I know that Jesus has interceded and said, hey, there's a, there's a better way to live. And so after telling Peter all of this, and I'm getting somewhere, I promise, Jesus says two words that Peter has heard before. These were two words that changed his life. They changed his life before, and now Jesus is repeating it to him. He said, follow me. These words caused him to leave everything he knew behind before. They were a command, but they were also an invitation. These words weren't just for the non-Christian Peter, but also for the sifted Peter. Jesus tells him again, follow me. And Jesus' words are simple. He wants Peter to continue in the way that he started to keep following and these are Jesus' words to us. No matter where you are or your walk with God is to say, follow me. Follow me. And as you do, one day you'll look up and you will see my face. And it won't be a rooster crow to remind you of your former sins. But it will be the voice of God telling you two other words. Two other words. Well done. You see, this gospel, it works. It works for Peter. It'll work for me, it'll work for my dad, it worked for my mom, it works for your family, it works for your neighbor, it works for your coworker. The gospel works. It's for everyone and anyone who will. Right? And so Peter could stand before a crowd on the day of Pentecost and declare the saving power of the gospel. Peter would continue to follow Jesus, follow his teachings, follow his example. And that is the same for us, for you, for me, to continue on the mission of Christ. Now, I've been captivated by the story in 2 Kings for months now. 2 Kings chapter 4, we meet a widow woman, and she has two sons, and she goes to the prophet, and she says, I have no money. The bondsmen are coming to take my sons away. Now, 
How would you react if someone were to say, you're out of money, I'm coming to take your children? What would you do? What do you think you would do? Any, anything. You would do anything you had to. At that point, you're, you're desperate. I will do whatever it takes. Right? She goes to the prophet. Well, some of you are saying, <laughs> I see you laughing over there. No, you would do anything. You would do anything you wanted. And so she goes to the prophet and she says, what can I do? And he says, I want you to go out and I want you to find all the vessels you can from your neighbors. And I want you to take them and I want you to start filling the oil. I'd send your sons out. I want you to start pouring oil from each vessel to each vessel. Now, I have this idea. I've thought a lot about this widow woman. And I, I have this idea of what it would not look like. It would not look like this. Does anyone have any vessels that I could use? Is that? Oh, good. Good, good, good. I'm glad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stand so I can see them. Okay. You know, that one... That one looks a little small. I don't think I want that one. Ooh, this one's big. I would, I would probably use that one. I'd probably take that one. That one looks a little cheap. That's not really my, eh. I guess I'll take this one, because it's big. Oh, it's plastic. It's, thank you. But I, it's not, that's not what it would look like. That is not what she did. She said, does anyone have any vessels for me to use? Does anyone have any vessels? Go ahead, show them to me. I want that one. I'll take that one. Do you have a vessel? This is fine. I don't even care what it's made of. Does anyone else have anything? Anyone else? That, I'll take that. It's small, but it'll hold some oil. Right? She's getting to this desperate point that says, I don't care what it's made of. I don't care what it looks like. I know what the prophet told me. I know what the prophet's goal is. This is what the mission is. And I'm so glad that I go to Calvary Tabernacle where if anybody, if any vessel shows up, I'll take it, I'll take it, I'll take it, I'll take it. Because I know, I know the gospel works. I don't care what it's made of. I don't care what it looks like. If it's addicted, I'll take it. If it's broken, I'll take it. If it's confused, I'll take it. Because there's oil to be poured out. I'll take it all. I'll take whatever you got, anything. I'll take them, I'll take them, I'll take you. That's, that's the mission of God is to say, whatever it is, you come, come. I've got oil to fill you with. But here's the reality. She had to leave her house to find these vessels. Her neighbors didn't bring the vessels to her. She didn't send out a neighborhood memo and say, hey, if anybody has any spare vessels, I'd like them. You can drop them off on my porch. She didn't say that. They had to go. They had to ask. They had to find. They had to seek. And that is our mission today. That is what Jesus even says in Matthew 28, verse 19. He says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That was his commission, was to say, go.
go find them. And the truth is, is that there are vessels all around you. And perhaps some of them seem kind of insignificant. Perhaps we walk by them and they, they, don't, they don't seem like they could hold a whole lot. But before anyone even darkens the door of this church, they'll sit at your dinner table. Even before they ever hear Pastor Carson preach a message, they're sitting across from you on your lunch break at work. Even before they, they ever meet anyone else in this room, they've met you. They've talked to you about your, your son's report card. They delivered your mail. They checked you out at Walmart. And so often we go through and we say, mm, I'm just looking for the, the vessels that I can use. It seemed good to me. But Jesus said, go, teach all nations, all people. Because if this gospel worked for Peter, if it worked for John the Beloved, if it worked for anyone in the Old Testament, if it worked for anyone in the New Testament, if it worked for Pastor Carson, if it works for Dean Losh, if it works for anyone, if it works for the Hawks, if it works for the Satans, if it works for their families, then it's gonna work for the family that lives next door to you, who's never been in this church, who never hears these messages. If this gospel works to free us and to help us to live empowered, then what could it do? What could it do for the people who are broken and are hurting that you meet every day? What could it do for them? But you know what? You are the vessel. You are the vessel too. What are you carrying? What are you carrying and, and, and how can you take it? And how can you go? This is the church in action to say go. Go, go, go. And sometimes I picture us just standing at, at a line, waiting. Waiting for the gun to go off, waiting for the announcer to say, ready, set, go. And here it is, go, 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 go. Now is the time. Now is the time for the church to be in action, to go. You are empowered. God has filled you with his spirit for a reason, and this is it. It's for you to go, for you to go and for you to teach. And I know, as much as, as there are people that I know in my life, you have people in your life that perhaps have never stepped foot in this building. Nobody would recognize them but you. That's your mission field. Those are your people. That's the test that God has placed for you to fulfill, to say you go, you preach, you teach all nations. This is your task. You can follow my example. If you wanna follow me, follow me. And here's what I did. I went, I ate dinner with them. I spoke with them. You go, now is your time. If you would, why don't we stand? We have a few minutes, but I think maybe we should just spend some time in prayer. And say, God, give me a burden. Give me a burden for the lost. Give me a burden. Help me to see people the way that you see them, Lord. Help me to see the vessels that are around me. Help me to know, God. Help me to know who you're calling me to reach. Where are those people? Where can I find them?
I'm ready to be a part of your mission, God. I'm ready to be a part of your service, Lord, and I want to be desperate for it. I pray, oh God, that you would help us. Give us a, a mission, God. Give us a burden. A burden to see people the way that you see them and, and their potential. That I know, God, that I'm just a vessel. That I need your spirit. I need this gospel. I need to be saved, Lord. But in turn, I'm going to go and I'm going to share that with someone else, Lord. I'm not perfect, but you can use me, Lord. Perhaps I've fallen, but I'm ready to accept whatever ministry you're calling me to, Lord. If I've given up on it, if I've let it go, God, let me to pick it back up. Help me to pick it back up, Lord, so that I can run with this. God, help me to see people the way that you see them, Lord. Lord, give me a heart, a heart for the lost. I don't want to disqualify myself anymore, Lord. I'm stepping into what you want me to do, and I'm going to be a part of the church in action. I'm going to be a part of the church, and I want to do your work. I'm going to follow you, Lord, follow you into whatever neighborhood you want me to go into. I'm going to follow you into the job. I'm going to follow you wherever you want me to go, God. And I'm going to follow you when you ask me to talk to someone. I'm going to follow you when you ask me to pray for somebody, even in the middle of the store. God, I, I'm going to follow you, Lord. This commission you've given me, I'm taking it, God. I'm taking it. And I'm going to be the church in action.